love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Haley Chura. I'm joined by Alyssa Gadeski. Alyssa, I have some news for you. Are you ready? I'm so ready. I'm excited. You you were like telling me you had something to say and waiting until we were recording to say it. Um. Okay. Well, you know how I'm like super great at racing in Florida. Guess who's headed back to Florida? <laughs> Woohoo! Yay! That's ex- wait. What is the race? Is this race week? Is it in two weeks? What well, what day? What day? Is I that? okay. I have like all, but when this airs, I'll have like two and a half weeks before okay, the T one hundred race in Miami. So this is the PTO's new series. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Expressed how a little bit of frustration with how the wildcard slot allocation process goes, and I just got some insight into the chaos this past weekend. <laughs> but I have. I mean, I don't know if I'm officially supposed to tell people, but I'm telling people because why else would I have a podcast, um, if, if not to break this news, that I did accept a roll down slot. So I'm very, I'm a little confused on like roll down versus wild card. I think it's it's a it's a wild card roll down. I think it's a hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> but a spot's a spot, right? I mean, I, uh, it's a spot's a spot. So um, I, I like had a little like I like immediately said yes. And, and maybe I should take a step back and say, like, here's how this happens, because it is different. It's different than how it was happening last year. I think last year you would get like an individual email and it would be like, respond within two days kind of thing. So like the process took a long time. And this year, I think I was like blind copied on an email to a lot of people. And you kind of got to see like they said that there were eight women's slots, which is quite a bit. But I think when you think about it, it's the same weekend as the uh world triathlon race in Abu Dhabi, which a lot of people are using to prep for the Olympics, possible Olympic qualification points, all of that. So you're taking out any athletes who are planning to race in the Olympics, which would be Taylor Nib, uh, Flora Duffy, Taylor Spivey. Those, those are the contracted athletes. So there you have three. Um, I guess it's early in the season and not everyone is ready to start their season. So maybe that's where you get a few others. And so I was, I was surprised. I was surprised there were that many. And so they asked like, if you got a slot, would you take it? And I was pretty far down the list. I was like 17th down the list. So even with eight slots, I was like, Oh, not looking good, but I was like, sure. Yes. And then they came back with like, here's who said yes. Here's who said no. And you know, some people are racing Ironman New Zealand and that kind of thing. And so the second round of emails, I was like first on the wait list. And I was like, okay, oh, I mean, came close. And They're then packing those bags. Yes. But then it was like a few hours later, I found out I got a roll down and I was like, woohoo. <laughs> so, um, and then again, and then, then it hit me where I was like looking at flights and I was like, what was I thinking? And then I was like trying to also figure out kind of a heat training protocol because I, I, I think this race is going to be in the afternoon in Miami. I am currently, <laughs> you know, in Montana in the snow. And last year when I raced clash Miami, I did not feel like I had the fitness level to do any real heat protocol going into that race. I kind of was just going into it in a different place and 
for the experience, which I guess now I'm very glad I have that experience. I've raced on that track, which is another reason it made it a little easier to say, yes, I know the lay of the land. I know the track. Um, <laughs> but I'm like, okay, this time, I mean, last year I, I melted on that course. <laughs> I was so hot. And so I'm like, and I think we started at like nine or 10 AM. And then if we're starting, like, I'm imagining like, like three or 4 PM. Cause that's when Singapore and Milwaukee Whoa. started in Miami. I'm like, Oh, this could be, this could be very challenging. So I'm like going through the like sauna protocol and I'm like, I need to start tomorrow. I'm like, Oh no. Cause I like, honestly, I hate the sauna. I hate it. I love how it kind of like makes my skin look good, but I hate how it makes me incredibly irritable and annoying to be around. Um, I don't like that, how it brings that out in me. I know. And that, but I'm wondering, Haley, I'm, I mean, I feel like you don't maybe need it, right? Like if you're, because three, especially if it is three and four, I feel like that is actually better. Cause like the sun is almost at like the end of the high part, right? It's not like if you were starting at noon, I'd be like, Ooh, I don't know. But you know, I don't even know. I don't know. I don't know I, I'm encouraging time. you to not have to do it if you don't want to. Okay. I might just like give it a couple of try for, yeah. I'll see tomorrow how it feels. At least like this year, the gym closer to me with the sauna is open. Like last year, that was another thing I would have had to like travel for the, for the gym or I can do a hot bath. I've like experimented with that one, but I find the sauna is the best for me. And I usually do the protocol where you go in after your last session of the day and you stay in there for about like 20 to 30 minutes and then slowly rehydrate after that. And so it's just, I don't love the feeling. Um, I have the flexibility in my day and like close enough sauna to do that and hopefully not go to bed dehydrated. But I I do notice how it like impacts my workouts and makes me a not as much fun person. But um, but you know, I I I'll find get more information in the coming days, hopefully, about like start time and all of this and can like start looking at the weather. But the good news is I feel fit enough to handle the sauna and I feel fit enough to go do this race, which is exciting because I, you know, I, I kind of have approached this year a little bit different having just done the dopey challenge. I'm like, my run is in a better place than it has been previous Februarys, And so I'm like, okay, yeah, like, let's go do this in two and a half weeks. <laughs> but then I do take a step back and I'm like, oh, I'm not ready to race a race of this caliber in two and a half weeks. Like that's so soon, but it's early. You're always ready to race in Florida, Haley. It's like the magic of the, the magic of that state for you. I'm, I'm it's excited. It's so funny. I have like barely raced in Florida until like two years ago. And now I'm like <laughs> Florida racing queen, but, um, oh, no. you need to fly in late, plan lots of activities for the day before and then race. And that's, I feel like the secret to success for your Floridian adventures. Yeah. I, I was trying to kind of look on the online. Cause there's a lot of races happening in Miami around this time. I think there's an ITU race there or world triathlon. And then there's like, um, like a paratri race going on, like some big, like big races that are happening. And then there is like age group racing happening. And so I was trying to kind of figure out the schedule events, like trying to figure out like what day I race on and what time, um, because these are like the things you don't, that aren't always obvious, which is fascinating, but, um, I mean, there's so many races going on and I think there was something about like having like these PTO races. I think there's a lot of like media involved sometimes. And I think that sometimes that favors someone like me who kind of does a lot of media anyway. And sometimes I'm always like, 
I should just be like feet up and like (laughs) chilling out. But I'm like, no, because a lot of these times these big races will require it. Mm -hmm. And so it's nice to, that I'm sort of, uh, used to it, or this is what I tell myself. Yeah. Oh, this is exciting. I, and I love that. It's like the crunch time now. It's like, you just put it in the final prep and then you'll pack and go. And this will be, this is something fun for me to look forward to too. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe there will be like really good coverage. I mean, I am interested to experience what a PTO race is like this year. Like now we know that they are trying to make this bigger push, bigger broadcast, bigger, everything. Um, I think that that's going to be fascinating to see if it is different and, um, what kind of experience that is. So that's what I, when I get nervous, I just tell myself, I'm like, no, no, you're in this for the experience. Like you're in this whole sport for the experience, but like even taking these kind of opportunities, um, you know, it's, I, when I weigh it, I weigh experience very heavily. And so I'll hopefully have a lot to report back on and hopefully it does not include me having any heat exhaustion. I can usually (laughs) handle it. Okay. It's just, sometimes it does it slows me down a little, or it's like, I'm just like, I, you know, I think we had half a mile between aid stations at some points and I'm like, I can't make it. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. How, I mean, it, it's pretty hot in Miami though. It can be, it can be one time I ran, I ran the Miami half marathon one time and I remember being like, Oh, this is, this is hot. This is, it's a January race too. And I was coming from when I lived in Baltimore and I remember it being, being quite warm, but it's exciting because it means Racing's kicking off. Haley, you'll be heading down to Miami this past weekend. We got to see some racing. Well, we didn't really get to see much of it, but we got to see that it happened. Like it existed. Um, that challenge Wanaka took place. It's now a 70.3 race. And um, that's generally like one of the big majors, I guess, to like kick off kind of longer course tri season um, in two weeks, I believe will be Ironman New Zealand. So those folks in the Southern hemispheres are, kind of kicking off the season for us. And Els Visser was first in Wanaka. I think Beck Clark was second and Laura Siddle came in third. And I, I'm assuming Laura might be headed to Topo. I don't know if the other women are, but I'm excited to see who does do that. Um, Wanaka Topo double for Ironman there. Cause that's um, yeah. Got to make the trip worthwhile. Although I guess Beck Clark. I think they all are. Ironman. I feel like they okay. all are the Ironman okay. New Zealand Startless is, is very stacked. It's, it's great. But, um, I know I, I was asking you before, because you have raced in Wanaka and in Topa and, you know, if you thought it was a great location, because I was wondering if, if there was so much interest in that because they are hosting 70.3 worlds in December of this year. So maybe people are scoping it out, but I also, I feel like New Zealand is part of the world that we couldn't go to for a few years. You know, it was really hard if you didn't live in New Zealand or maybe Australia to like get there. And so maybe if people had that on their bucket list, it's like, okay, now we can go back. We can get there. Like let's, let's take advantage and, and go for it. Yeah. I would support any reason people have to be going, whether it was just missing it from the last few years or um, it's just on the bucket list. It's both races are, really fantastic it's a great community in both places the towns are very different but also so worthwhile and worth it to go and do the long trip and see um but I'm excited I hopefully Ironman New Zealand will have coverage I haven't looked too much into see which ones will be kind of have the commentary and the broadcast this year but I feel like New Zealand should right because it's like or is they are they will they kick it off with Texas you think? I have no idea, which okay. I mean, we hmm. should know these things. I know. <laughs> um, probably subscribe to Kelly O'Mara's triathlon ish uh, oh, yeah, newsletter. That's and that's probably where you can find that information. Yeah. But, um, or maybe one of the feisty newsletters, I feel like they do a good job of 
putting broadcast information in there. But I think um, it's definitely worth paying attention to, especially if you want to get one of those slots to the 70.3 Worlds in December. Like you have a few more months to qualify. So if you watch it and you're like, oh, I need to go there. I need to go there. I mean, it sounds like a very nice time of year. December would be, a, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, I feel like December would be a very, very nice time to go to New Zealand. And then maybe if you have like time for a little vacation afterwards, this is like in my, my brain, like if I lived the idyllic life, here's what I would do. <laughs> <laughs> I Race, would support that. Vacation, support that. holidays, home, get ready to travel to Florida and race again. <laughs> you planned your uh, next winter. Perfect. I know. This is my dream. I just need to go go make some of that PTO money. Yeah. <laughs> and uh try to like pay for all this. But um it's exciting. It's going to be an exciting year. We'll see how it, it plays out and yeah, send all your, your positive uh, heat adaptation thoughts and race track thoughts and Florida thoughts my way for the next two and a half weeks, please. And Haley, I think you have a really great interview for us to listen to today. I do. This is a very interesting one. We I talked to Megan Foley and Megan is a professional triathlete and a registered dietitian. So as an athlete, she came up through the short course ranks. She raced on the draft legal ITU circuit, major league triathlon, super league, as well as some of our favorite non-drafting Olympic distance races like St. Anthony's and the Los Angeles triathlon. And as a registered dietitian, Megan is the newest coach for the nutrition-based training app Fuelin. So I asked Megan for her thoughts on all of the latest nutrition trends. I went from ketones, cold plunges, Stanley Cups and what she thinks about weight loss drugs like Ozempic in the context of endurance sports. I will have my full conversation with Megan Foley right after the break. All right, Alyssa, I'm like starting to swim more again. And I feel like you were swimming a lot last year with, oh, with one water. And how did you keep your hair from getting so destroyed? I was swimming so much last year and I used to try hard, Kelly, and I still swear by it. They have extensively researched this problem and created a superior vegan, dermatologically tested proprietary blend. TryHard has shampoo, conditioner, body wash, and more stuff. Everything you're going to need for your pre and post swim necessities. I've also seen that top pros like Chelsea Sodaro and Lucy Charles Barkley also praise the effectiveness of TryHard. I think it's like it's definitely changed how good I feel just coming out of chlorine. And we have a code right now, too, for anyone who wants to try, you know, try, try hard and stop suffering from dry, itchy skin, having their hair get all, you know, green, which happens to me because mine's like super blonde and get all beat up. You can try any of the try hard products with the code 20 feisty. That's two zero feisty for 20 percent off store wide at tryhard.co. So that's 20 feisty for 20 percent off at tryhard.co. Happy New Year, Iron Women podcast listeners. For those of you new to the show, we want to tell you about Pillar. Pillar is a sports micronutrition company who have developed products that intersect between pharmaceutical intervention and sports supplements for athletes. The easiest way to describe it is hydration and carbohydrates products that will take you through to the finish line. Pillar's mission is to get athletes to the start line in the best condition over and over again. 
After seeing athletes like 2022 Ironman world champion Chelsea Sidero and 2016 Olympic gold medalist Gwen Jorgensen post about using Pillar to improve their sleep performance, I decided to give Pillar triple magnesium a try. I take it about 60 minutes before bed and I do actually feel like I sleep deeper and recover better. In the same way I love to start my day with a coffee, I now wind it down with a cup of Pillar triple magnesium and recover better for tomorrow's training. If you would like to make Pillar part of your 2024 New Year routine and you are in the U.S., head to thefeed.com slash Pillar and enter code FEISTY for 15% off of your first purchase. For our international listeners, head to PillarPerformance.shop and that's code FEISTY for 15% off of all first-time purchases. Hi, Megan. Welcome to the Iron Woman podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So I'd love to start this conversation talking more about your athletic background because you and I were chatting a little before we started recording and we have this swimming background in in common, which I could talk about that all day. But I think you also raced triathlon as a kid and your mom raced triathlon as well. Do I have that right? Yeah, you did some research uh, before this. So <laughs> I try, I try. Yeah, I, I did a little bit. I was primarily a swimmer growing up. So swam in high school, swam in college at University of Denver. Um, my mom was a professional triathlete for a while. She raced like the Bud Light series, which was kind of like a big deal back in the day. And so I always kind of knew about triathlon, but wasn't super involved as a kid, was primarily just in the pool all of the time. And then after college was over, I just really missed racing. I really missed having the structure of training and fell into triathlon and absolutely loved it. And so that's kind of how I ended up where I am. I didn't realize you were a second generation professional triathlete. Like, <laughs> I feel like that's not something I run across that often. Like we, we're starting now <laughs> to get to the point, you know, we have Taylor Nib, like people who had yeah. parents who did the sport. Like my parents also did the Bud Light series, but definitely not as professionals. And so that's pretty cool. Was professional triathlete always on your radar? Did you always want to race at that level? Absolutely not. I had no aspirations for it whatsoever. Well, I shouldn't say that. I guess when I was in college, we were actually just talking before this and my coach at the time, Brian Trader, had sent me this email from the collegiate recruitment program, starting to recruit, you know, swimmers out of collegiate athletics for when they were done with their college careers. And so he sent me that email my freshman year of college. And I thought like, why are you sending this to me? I still have four years of eligibility. Like this is very strange, but I didn't, I didn't think about it seriously until I was actually in graduate school out here in Utah. And I'd found a coach who, you know, had seen me swim a few times and had said like, Hey, you have a good chance of going pro if you wanted to. And I was like, okay, sure. Why not? I'll try it. And it worked out. And yeah, it was, uh, I just took it from there. I am so shocked by so much of this because as we just discovered, Brian Schrader was coached at Georgia before he was at DU. So I also <laughs> knew him and I can see where that did catch you a little off guard, but at least it kind of got it on your radar. So we will thank Schrader for that. Yeah. When you did start aspiring toward being a professional triathlete, I think you started more short course. Is that right? Like draft legal and major league triathlon, super league and some non-drafting Olympic distance races. Yeah, my, my focus was primarily short course. And when I first got got started with it, I was fairly new to triathlon. I mean, I'd done one or two as a kid, but 
as you may know, when you're kind of older in the sport, at the time I was 25 when I actually got my elite license, there aren't a whole lot of opportunities to race draft legal racing unless you race as a pro. And so I kind of just got thrown into that. And I, I really loved it. I really loved short course racing. Major League Triathlon is a throwback. That race series was so fun. Super sprints are just something else. Like there's something about going as hard as you possibly can for like 20 minutes and then collapsing to the floor that I just absolutely loved. And Super League was a continuation of that. So yeah, that's that's really where I started. I transitioned a little bit in the past few years to more of the Olympic non-drafting racing. I've done a few half Ironmans, but I'm not sure I love them as much as I love short course. <laughs> I, I do enjoy racing, but I, I haven't quite figured out the longer distance yet. And so I'm kind of like dipping my toe in, in some of the longer stuff and figuring out if it's still for me. You raced the iconic Escape from Alcatraz triathlon the past two years, and I think you finished second last year. Yeah. And it's rumored that this might be the California location for the PTO's T100 stop this June. What do you think about having a PTO race in Alcatraz? <laughs> um, it would be amazing. I think, well, for one, you would love that race because it's a swimmer's race. It's I need to do it. I haven't. And I'm like, how have I been in this sport this long and never done it? Yeah, I think last year the swim course was over 3k and it wasn't supposed to be that long but it was um very choppy the bike course is very hilly and technical so it's just it makes for fun fun what racing. is it like to jump off that ferry and there's like no buoys right you're just like <laughs> swimming to shore yeah they were just basically like all right you go this direction and if you're in the front of the race and keep in mind men and women go off together then if you're okay. in the front of the race you do have like a jet ski boat whatever but if you're not okay. then you're just kind of following the group and so okay. it can be a bit intimidating of like am I going the right way? Is this where shore is? Because you can't always see where you're supposed to go. So it's definitely an interesting race experience. I personally love it. I hope to go back many more times, but it would be interesting to have the, the T100 series there. I think it would make for a very tactical race. Yeah. You got to apply for that wild card, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> like, I have history here. Let, I know the you know, and I think Yes. I mean, you know that swim, they should, they need you on there. Um, I think you also raced in Saudi Arabia last year with Super League. So what was that yeah. like? Yeah, that was kind of a surprise. Well, first of all, like I said, I love Super League. I, I've had great experiences. I raced their championship series for two years until um, COVID hit. And I had a friend, Nick Chase, who was manager of a team and they were in need of someone for a couple of their races to lose and then Neom. And so it was just a really cool race experience to go and do those. It was on very short notice. I think I had like three weeks to prepare. So preparing for like Olympic non-draft or 70.3 is not the same prep that you need for like a super league race. So it was a bit of a shock to a system, but yes, Saudi Arabia was really interesting. There aren't very many opportunities to go, right? Like it's not like, oh, I'm going to casually head to Saudi Arabia for vacation or whatever. Like it was a really really cool experience. And as I understand, like Neom, I don't know if I said that correctly. Yeah. It's like a, just a completely man-made or I guess all cities are man-made, but like, like yes. plant community in like basically the desert. Is that yes. right? Yeah. So you shouldn't quote me on this, but there was just construction vehicles everywhere. Like that was what you would see. You didn't see people walking around, but someone said they had like 80% of the world's excavators which I would believe by just 
the amount of trucks and things that were in the area. It's, it's not finished yet. Like they're still in the process of build, building it. And I think they're trying to build a city called the line, which is like a hundred kilometers long and very narrow. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Like actually just a line. So and everything is like within walking distance or something like that. I think I, I read think a little bit about hope. this. Yeah. Okay. Like we stayed, we didn't stay anywhere near the line. I kept looking for it and I didn't see it. So I was super bummed about that. Um, but we stayed in an athlete village that was kind of outside, but I'm very curious to see how it progresses over the next couple of years. Cause it like the amount of construction they were doing, it's going to be an insane project. Did you get to experience like Saudi Arabian culture or was it more like you were in a bubble of sport? Um, it was a bit more bubbly, like because we were in an athlete village. Right. But every interaction that I had with people there, they were super friendly. Like, I don't know about you, but like going into a different country and going through customs, I always get nervous. Like I haven't done anything wrong, but I'm like, oh, they're going to deny me for some reason or like my visa won't be perfect. And um, so, yeah, just like walking through security, they were so friendly and nice and like joking around with people. And it was just such a different experience than I was expecting. Like I was expecting just like serious people and like, I don't know, whatever. So it was really cool. And a lot of the spectators at the the race were locals. And so it was the same thing there. Just very friendly, very open to having conversations. Just a cool experience. Did you feel odd racing in a bathing suit? <laughs> I thought that I might, but no, it was, it felt just like any other race. Um, they're trying to, in my understanding, they're trying to develop the city to be more Western because they want to bring in more business. And obviously sport brings in a lot of business as well. And so like a lot of the women that I saw who were there were dressed in Western attire, not, not unmodest, but not the full covering, you know, okay. that I was kind of in my head expecting. Interesting. I know we're seeing this sport definitely expand and expanding our, our understanding of other, other countries, other cultures, uh, we're going to pivot a little here and talk to you a little <laughs> bit more about your, per, your other profession, because you are a registered dietitian and you're the newest coach for the nutrition-based training app Fuelin. Yeah. Uh, a lot of our listeners might remember, we talked to Elizabeth Inpine, who is also a Fuelin coach. We talked to her a couple of years ago, I think now, but can you tell us more about your nutrition, your sports nutrition background? Yeah. So I'll take it way back, I guess. So when I first got to college, I was just struggling with some things going on in my home life. I was skipping meals, not intentionally. I just was kind of forgetting. And so after a period of a few months of that, I ended up losing my period. And um, in college, I was having a hard time keeping up with the training because I simply just wasn't eating enough in order to meet the needs of what I was doing. And just kind of had this moment of when I started eating more, I started getting better at my sport. And that was a really exciting moment for me. And I feel like it was something that I could also help other people with, because this is not a struggle that I've just dealt with alone. This is a struggle that a lot of athletes have. And so that was the impetus of going to graduate school. I got my master's degree in sports nutrition out here at the University of Utah, and then became a registered dietitian by taking my boards exam a few years later. So my schooling was all devoted towards 
sport, at least as much of it as I could. Like I love working with athletes of all sorts. I kind of fell into working with endurance athletes because I am an endurance athlete myself. Right. So it just was a, a super easy fit. And I love working with endurance athletes specifically because a lot of my job is telling people you need to eat more. And that's a really fun job to have. So I've been working with athletes from different backgrounds, you know, amateur to elite for the past couple of years, primarily in the sport of triathlon, but you know, there's cycling in there too. There's ultra running can easily cover any sort of like endurance sport, um, just on proper fueling day to day. And then also how do you fuel a race? So how do you fuel an Ironman that takes 12 hours, 14 hours, 16 hours? Um, and it's been, it's been really fun and rewarding. And so now I'm excited to be able to do that with fueling and do it on a, a bigger scale. You've spoken before, we've spoken before the, about how passionate you are about underfueling in triathlon. And you've said as a dietitian, we don't need more voices telling athletes they need to be smaller or eat less in order to be successful. And I am curious about this in the context of one of your training partners, Sky Monch, who famously discussed her previous coach's advice to lose six to eight pounds, even as she was finishing in top five at the Ironman world championship. Uh, I think you also worked with the same coach. And so did you have a similar experience to Sky and has that influenced your views today as well as, as your past swimming experience? Yeah, this, I want to make sure that I say this correctly. So I, I was coached by the same coach, Cam, and I didn't have a negative experience with him. In fact, Cam was the only coach that I had who didn't tell me that I was too fat basically in some way or another, unlike all of my previous coaches had. And I think I don't have anything bad to say about him, except for the fact that I wholeheartedly disagree with the advice that he gave her. And I think we have to discuss like why coaches end up giving this advice. Like why do coaches feel comfortable giving nutrition advice? And I think in a lot of these cases, like in a, in this case in particular, I think the coaches want what's best for their athletes, right? Like they wholeheartedly believe that the messages that they're giving are ones that are going to help them the most. And I wish that coaches felt less confident or at least second guessed when they're making these comments to athletes because the risk of harm is so high, right? Like, I had a coach who used to joke that when like our group was on long rides, we needed to be eating salads on the bike, like lettuce and greens. I had a coach that told me I would never be a good runner because of my body shape. I had a coach who would regularly tell athletes who were under the age of 18 that they needed to lose weight, which I'm sorry, like F off. That's just completely inappropriate to be saying to someone. And I even remember in college, it wasn't, it wasn't, my coach, but it was another athletic team. They'd had body composition testing done. And then they posted the results of the body composition test on the locker room wall so that everyone could see them. Like this isn't, this isn't a coach problem. This is an environment problem in sport. And so again, I just wish that, you know, if there's an issue like a physical therapy issue, right? Like you have a niggle or your knee hurts, you're, 
in most cases, coaches are pretty quick to outsource that information or that, that issue, right. To someone who knows more, or let's say you have an issue with your bike fit. Like generally you're going to go and see an expert bike fitter about it. But when it comes to nutrition, we're not really doing that. And I, I wish that were the case. And I want that to be the case because obviously these, these statements can, can have a huge negative impact on someone's performance, but also their health. And so I, I know we have coaches who listen to this. I'm a coach. So you're saying like, if any coaches are listening or any athletes who, who might have a coach who has made a comment like this, that actually like, like think about where that source is. Does that person have any sort of, you know, registered dietitian, nutrition background, but, and if they don't maybe like see where you're taking your advice from and talk to someone who specializes in that. Yeah. Like I think one thing about sports nutrition specifically is even general nutrition advice isn't necessarily good nutrition advice for athletes, right? Like general nutrition advice for the population, less processed foods is probably a good thing. Whereas athletes, if you have super high expenditures, processed foods might be the only way that you're able to meet your energy expenditure. So I think if you are a coach or if you are an athlete and there's lots of ways to improve your performance. Like weight is not the, the key to doing it. But if you are in a position where you feel this is the one area that's going to like make or break your performance or you're at world championship level and this is the one thing that's going to get you to the top, then you need to see an expert about it. And that is a service that you provide. We had a mailbag question, I think that came in a while back and I believe what the woman was asking was that if an athlete realizes that she has got herself into a place where she has red S, I think, which is relative energy, energy deficiency syndrome. Is that correct? Yeah. Do I have Rel my, my Rel acronym there? Rel relative energy deficiency in sport. In sport, in sport. Yeah. So not a syndrome, but in sport. And so you have red S, you've been under fueling. She was asking about like, how do we get back to a place of health? Do you have a path that, you know, an athlete like this might approach? Is this someone that you would maybe advise and work with on, you know, if they need to change up their exercise levels, if they need to change up their calorie intake levels, um, that kind of thing? Yeah. So relative energy deficiency in sport, if we define it, is a mismatch between expenditure and intake. So you have higher expenditure than you do food intake over either an acute period of time or a long-term period of time. And so in order to fix this, you have to fix that deficit. So eating enough in order to actually meet your energy needs. So in order to treat red S, which is considered a medical condition, generally we do that as a team. So it's usually the combination of a dietitian, some sort of sports medicine doctor and possibly a psychologist, because there are a lot of mental impacts that red S can have. And then also if, if reds is caused by disordered eating or eating disorder, that needs to be addressed by healthcare professionals. So usually it's a, it's a, it's a group effort to get the athlete back to where they need to be. But from a nutrition standpoint, you need to increase calories. Sometimes you need to decrease activity. Like if, they're just not going to be able to meet their needs by not doing that. And actually what's interesting is you actually want to reduce fiber in the diet when you're treating reds because fiber tends to induce satiety and um, 
can induce early satiety. And we're trying to keep upping those calories. So we want to make sure that you're not getting too full before you've actually met your calorie needs. Okay. And so a first step might be working with someone like you and you could probably help build that team if that person doesn't have it in place already. Yeah, definitely. Finding the right fit of dietitian and sports medicine is usually a good place to start. With something like REDS, where it's a medical condition, it's good to look within your own state or someone who's licensed in your state in order to treat it. But it's it's a group effort, for sure. On the flip side, we hear a lot about weight loss drugs like Ozempic, Wegovy, ZepBound. They're making all the headlines these days. And there are times when people do need to lose weight. So how do you feel about someone taking these drugs while also training and racing endurance sports? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Personally, I've never come across anyone who's using them. Um, Well, excuse me, using them and racing in endurance sports. But so GLP-1 receptor agonists are glucagon-like peptide medications, and they help people to lose weight by inducing early satiety so you feel full more quickly and it also slows gastric emptying so the stomach will delay moving food into the intestine for a little bit longer people who take these will lose 10 to 20 percent of their body weight generally which is a lot and they do this like while they're taking the medication so the downside of a drug like this is when you stop most people tend to gain the weight back unfortunately a lot of the side effects can be like nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, constipation, abdominal pain, indigestion. And so as far as, you know, racing endurance sports, I think we have to remember that these drugs were created for people with type 2 diabetes. These were created for people who are struggling with obesity. And not to say that there's no overlap between people who race endurance sports and people that have these conditions, but it's not the majority. And so I think it, it would make fueling properly a huge struggle. And something like REDS isn't just for skinny people. It can happen to anyone at any size. And I think that's also important to keep in mind is like, this drug would make it incredibly hard to complete your training properly, to race effectively. You would probably have a lot of gastrointestinal issues. And then also like, what's your purpose, right? Like, are you in sport to lose weight or, or the other way around, like where is your focus? And if your focus is on becoming a better athlete, then this drug is not likely to help you to do that. But potentially maybe it could help them get started. I just imagine like getting into a healthier lifestyle. If you were a type two diabetic and you're like, okay, how, how can I get into a healthier lifestyle? That'd be really hard to get started. And so maybe that, that would be a reason to, you know, to get into a healthier lifestyle, which I think triathlon can provide. Yeah, I agree. I think there's obviously a place for these drugs, right? Like weight loss is incredibly hard. Obesity is an incredibly hard lifestyle. And so anything that helps people to lose weight when medically necessary is a good thing. Like if we're trying to reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease of more type two diabetes, it's a good thing. I think as you progress in the sport, just taking these drugs would make it a whole lot harder to train and race effectively. So starting point, 
maybe. Um, but long-term, I don't see it being a, a benefit to athletes. One of the things that we have talked about is race-specific nutrition and how it has shifted in recent years. And the current trend does seem to be athletes aiming for very high carbohydrate intake during races and intense training. We're talking about aiming for 90 to 100 grams of carbs per hour, which is close to 400 calories per hour, often in the form of high carbohydrate drinks and hydrogels. So what do you think about this strategy for athletes racing at a high level? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's the short answer. It's interesting because this kind of seems like a huge swing from what was popular, you know, 2015, I guess about 10 years ago when, when high fat, low carb training was kind of the trend. This seems like the pendulum has kind of moved in the opposite direction. And, um, we have a lot of research that higher amounts, like 90 grams of carbohydrate can be super beneficial for athletes. When we start to go above that, we don't have a whole lot of research, but we do have a lot of anecdotal evidence. So riders in the tour, Ironman athletes saying they're taking hundred, 120. When you are taking in more carbohydrate during exercise, you're sparing your muscle glycogen. And when that happens, exercise is going to feel easier. You're likely to have less muscle damage. So overall, I think it's a good thing, but I wouldn't start athletes out. Like I wouldn't go from zero to a hundred grams an hour, right? Like I think there's a, a buildup process that needs to happen in order to train your gut to tolerate these amounts. But generally I'm for it. I'm for the high carb. I think it's a great thing. I see a lot of pros posting about ketones so can you help understand what are ketones and, and should we be using them? <laughs> yeah, ketones. So during periods of starvation or periods when the body doesn't have adequate carbohydrate to use for energy, it will make something called ketones, ketone bodies, and it makes this out of fat cells. And so there are certain um, organs, so specifically the brain that can only use carbohydrates for energy. And it, this is the body's workaround for when there aren't carbohydrates available so that the brain can actually use ketones in order to fuel itself if carbs aren't there. So ketones is basically another fuel source. And it's gotten a lot of attention recently because it's thought like, oh, it's an alternative to carbs, right? And unfortunately, I haven't seen it work as much as it's maybe promoted to work. And they're also really expensive, right? Like if you look online, like you can spend as much money as you want to on ketones. Like they're, they're a very expensive product, but there hasn't been a huge performance benefit shown by taking them. So I would say with most athletes before trying this supplement that may or may not help you, have you optimized your carbohydrate intake? Have you optimized your sleep? Are you doing a good enough job with your day-to-day -day nutrition? Those things are probably going to give you a bigger benefit than taking a supplement like this. And also in research, like the amount of ketones they're taking in these research studies are huge. Like you would have to take bottles on bottles on bottles to replicate these studies that are showing benefit. So from a financial perspective, I'm not sure it, it makes a ton of sense. Now, there may be some benefit to taking them for recovery, but 
at this point, I would say most people would be better off by just getting the nailing the basics first. Like the maybe the buying a new pillow, like yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> basics <your> being, <laughs> the basics being adequate sleep, right? Like athletes need eight to nine hours. Um, carbohydrate availability during exercise. So making sure that you actually have fuel on board for training and racing, making sure that you're well hydrated. Like these things are going to give you so much more benefit than a supplement will. And another trend I definitely want to get your opinion on is the cold plunge. It is winter here in the Northern hemisphere, but despite the cold, I see many people posting about cold plunges and this is sort of a nutrition adjacent question, (laughs) but do cold plunges impact your metabolism? Are you pro cold plunge? I haven't seen a whole bunch of cold plunges around here, but it's also Salt Lake city. So like, it's just cold in general, right? Cold plunges are having a moment. And I think they're proposed to work by reducing inflammation, right? Like that's kind of the thought process of just like taming muscle soreness, whatever's going on, unless it's extreme inflammation, like something that's out of control, like tendonitis or whatever. Again, this is not super nutrition-y, but it's kind of close. Your body actually needs that inflammation in order to like recover properly. Like inflammation is part of the recovery process, right? And so for athletes that are often getting in these cold plunges, are you missing an opportunity to actually like increase your performance that would just naturally happen if you didn't get in a cold plunge, right? And there's also the aspect of just the really cold temperatures can delay glycogen resynthesis. So um, glycogen resynthesis in the muscle is when your carbs are being stored in your muscle tissue. That can be slowed down because the enzymes can't work at a super low temperature. So I think every once in a while, it's probably fine, but other recovery techniques like compression might be more beneficial. As I just mentioned, sleep, probably more beneficial and then just adequate nutrition as well. And hydration also seems like a big buzzword these days. We've seen the Stanley cup craze, which (laughs) suggests that this isn't just for athletes. Is more water always better? Should we be lugging around giant water bottles with us all the time? Oh my gosh. I don't have a Stanley. Do you? No, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I can't have, I can't have nice things like that. I break it through and everything. Yeah. I think, um, obviously it's important to stay well hydrated, but we don't need to be peeing every 30 minutes. Like there is a limit to how well hydrated we need to be. And also if you are so well hydrated that like it's disrupting your sleep patterns at night, that's probably not a good thing. So again, some is good. More isn't better. You can definitely overdo it on fluids, but in general, I'm the, I'm a fan of people staying hydrated. Like let's do it. Let's be fresh and glowing and feel good for most of the day. I'm for that. Yeah. If you could, if you can clean that straw, you can have that. Yeah. Cup. <laughs> I love seltzer and I love like fun drinks. I'm definitely like in that realm of hydration. And I, I can remember going to the grocery store in Kona and you look for LaCroix and the shelves are empty. So I don't think I'm alone in this. So I'm throwing seltzer in this like wellness beverage category, uh, because I do feel like it's a little fancier, but we have seltzer, you have like probiotic and prebiotic 
sodas. I think Poppy had a Super Bowl ad, um, yeah. which I, I do love those. And and even mocktails, you know, non-alcoholic beverages. They seem to be having a moment, as you mentioned, for the Stanley Cups. Are these drinks actually okay from a health standpoint? Yeah, I love them. I love a good kombucha. Like, I wish my fridge was stocked with it all the time. So kombucha specifically is giving you probiotics, whereas some of these other drinks are offering prebiotics. So probiotics are the, the bugs that live in our digestive system, whereas prebiotics is the nutrients that feed the bugs. So that's kind of the difference there. I think the only thing with them is you have to be careful with some of the prebiotic sodas that are out there um, because they use something called inulin or chicory root fiber. And so um, they use it, I believe they use it as a sweetener. I'm pretty sure it's a sweetener. It adds fiber to the drink, sometimes upwards of like nine grams of fiber, which is a lot of fiber. Like I would not want to be having one of these drinks and then going out for a hard run session. Like that sounds like a disaster. So I think the timing of them might be important, but you know, in general, fiber is a good thing as long as it's not disrupting your training. So just use them, use them appropriately. I love this advice because I, I love those drinks. I'm so glad they're just like, not super bad for me, but <laughs> I was staying with a friend and her husband in Tucson before Kona last year. He like looked it up and he's like, oh, you shouldn't drink more than two of these per day. So like, I have kept that in my head and I do <laughs> limit myself to two per day, but especially in the summer, like, especially I, I think when I come back from like a hard run, I yes. put it in like a fancy pint glass. And I'm like, I feel like, again, I feel a little special. Oh yeah. They're so good. I love a bubbly drink. Like there's just something so nice and refreshing and like, uh, sitting in the sun sounds so nice right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just relieved. It's like re uh, registered dietitian approved in, in context. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, but this gastrointestinal issues that those are every athlete's worst nightmare, both in training and during a race, aside from limiting our Olipop and poppy intake, <laughs> are there things that we can be eating in our everyday lives and on race day or avoiding to help prevent this? Yeah, I love probiotics. I think they're super, super important. I will often tell athletes to include them in the two weeks prior to traveling to a race or competition, they are thought that they can potentially uh, help the immune system. So limit your chance of getting sick. And so obviously before travel and before racing, you don't want to be dealing with illness, right? So there's very little downside to including them in your diet a few weeks out before your major events. As we get closer to competition, a lot of these foods that are providing us with probiotics, so like your kimchi, your sauerkraut, your miso, a lot of these foods do have a good amount of fiber in them naturally. And so that might not be the best idea to include around racing because fiber increases your risk of GI distress. So for that reason, I would kind of taper off as you get closer to competition time. But outside of that, I think they're great. As far as gut microbiome goes, we know that these probiotics are good for diversity of the gut microbiome, but as far as performance benefit, as far as health benefit, like the jury is still out. Like we don't really know enough about the gut microbiome to like have strong determinations about including pill forms of probiotics or whatever it is. So 
food is best. It's very low risk. And again, it's just about timing. I was listening to, I think it was the endurance sports podcast last summer and coach Jim Vance was on there. He's the coach of uh, Ben Canoe, Brittany Higgins and others. And I think he, he meant his athletes using caffeine pills. And that surprised me a little because I've always felt like coffee and some caffeinated gels were enough. How do you feel about caffeine supplementation, both in training and in racing? I'm a, a frequent coffee drinker, so I'll start there. Caffeine is one of the few, I guess you can call it a supplement, supplements that we have that is proven to have some sort of performance benefit in sport. It makes exercise at a certain intensity feel easier. So it lowers your RPE during exercise. And so it can be really helpful for some athletes to include in training and racing. As far as different sources, generally I'm a food first person. That's just the dietitian in me, right? Like we have coffee, we have tea, we have mate, we have chocolate, we have soda. Like there's ways to get caffeine outside of pills. The upside of a pill maybe would be that you're always getting the same dosage. If you trust the supplement, that is. That's another big if, but... As long as you're taking these pills with lots of water, like lots of fluids, I don't see them being a huge issue. But also, you know, there's so many other products that you can get caffeine from. So I think it's really just about personal preference at that point of which is better. How do you feel about caffeine fasting? Like possibly stopping drinking your coffee before a race and then saving it for race morning. I really um... am crossing my fingers on this answer. <laughs> Those poor people know it's not necessary. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to. So people who are not habitual caffeine drinkers will have a, a slightly marginally more impact of not having caffeine and then having it on a race day. But that's not to say that your habitual coffee drinker isn't going to get that same benefit race morning from having their same cup of coffee. So no, it's not necessary. No, I don't recommend it. And also just do you want to go without it? Like, I feel like I'm no. really sad for the weeks leading in. And that's, that's not what I need going into a competition. Not at all. Thank you. Thank you. I just needed that recorded on here so I can send this <laughs> to everyone who tells me I should consider stopping. Um, it is my joy in life. Yeah. You're still getting a benefit from it, whether you stop or don't. Yeah. And, and you mentioned supplements, caffeine is a supplement, but also I think about my own experience with supplements and I used to be like quite anti-supplement, but thanks to honestly hosting this podcast and a few blood tests, I now take iron, vitamin D and a magnesium supplement daily. And so I should mention pillar triple magnesium is a podcast sponsor, but for me, supplements have been life changing, especially that, that iron supplement when I realized I needed to take that, um, very much changed my life in a very positive way. I'd love to hear your thoughts from a nutrition standpoint, because for me, I think I wish I could just like eat enough steak to not need that, to eat, not need an iron supplement, but that just wasn't the case. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am pro supplement when the time calls for it. So if we are needing to fix a micronutrient deficiency, for example, and we're unable to do that through food, like you mentioned iron, that's a perfect, perfect example. If you are unable to meet your needs through food, then supplement is a, supplementing is an easy way to meet your needs. And so using supplements to fix these issues is going to give you a huge performance benefit. So 
I wouldn't recommend to people to take these supplements without having some sort of blood testing first, right? Like I wouldn't, I would never say like, oh, you feel tired. You should probably take an iron supplement. No, we need to, we need to confirm that you have some sort of iron deficiency anemia before we start this pathway because supplements can have a lot of negative side effects too, right? Like iron supplements aren't always necessarily easy to digest or easy on your stomach. So it's not a, it's not the first thing that we reach for, but they absolutely, absolutely have their place. So the ones you mentioned are the ones that I typically recommend the most often. So iron, vitamin D, especially this time of year, right? Because it's winter and it's cold and we don't see the sun. And then magnesium, because I think it's something like 60 to 70% of the US population isn't getting enough magnesium in their diet. And that one can be super hard to test for. Um, so typically starting with like a lower dose magnesium is a, is a good place to start. But those are my top three. You nailed it. Oh, I'm so relieved. No, it has, <laughs> it's been an interesting, interesting journey for me. And I do think that is something where like 10 years ago, I got a blood test and my iron was not low. And mm -hmm. so when it did tested a few years ago and it was low. It was shocking to me because I had always considered myself someone with high iron. And then yeah. it was like, okay, I'm not. And it was nice to like, you know, be able to take a pill and suddenly have energy to do my laundry, um, <laughs> among other things. But, uh, so, I mean, in that case, it was nice, but I can see where it's like, there's some hesitation, but it is something that we should encourage people talk to your primary care physician. If you are feeling yes. run down and maybe get that blood test done and, you know, take their advice on, on supplementation. And if it is for you, then congratulations. Totally. Don't, just, don't just listen to someone on a podcast, me. Yeah. <laughs> and I think on top of that too, like we also have to talk about supplement safety, right? Because supplements in the U S are not regulated at all. And so you need to be choosing the ones that you take carefully. So typically I tell people look for not just athletes, but everyone look for some sort of NSF or informed sport certification on your supplements. That means that they don't contain any banned substances at the very least, some sort of third party testing to verify like what's actually in the product because yeah, supplements, you can't open a huge can of worms. So you just want to make sure that you know what you're getting. Thank you for adding that very, very good advice. So Feisty Media has a really great menopause podcast. It's called Hit Play Not Pause. And I just wanted to touch on this like very lightly here because obviously our listeners can get a lot more information there. But I do understand that our nutrition needs, they change as we age. And so from a broad perspective, do you have advice for ways endurance athletes might try adjusting their fueling plans as they age? Because, you know, even me, I look at this, I started this sport when I was like early twenties and now I am approaching 40 and I'm like, okay, it's not just the science that has changed, but so has my body. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things that people can focus on is as we age, we lose muscle mass, right? Like starting from mid thirties generally. And that can be one of the bigger drivers of change later in life because muscle has a high metabolic rate. It helps to keep our metabolism up. And so as we age and we lose muscle mass, that contributes to our metabolism dropping. So we need to do everything that we can in order to maintain muscle mass. So outside of nutrition, that means regular exercise. That means strength training. Inside nutrition, it means maintaining a higher protein intake, especially as we get older. So generally we're looking at 
around 0.4 grams of protein per kilogram body weight at each meal. As we get older, that might even increase a little bit more. So that's around the number that we need in order to, to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. So the rebuilding of muscle tissue. That's kind of the short answer is just really making sure that your protein intake is there and you're engaging in those other activities to help maintain muscle mass. That's going to be your biggest bang for your buck as we, as we age. We want to keep doing this sport forever. Someone sent me a video the other day or a picture of a woman, like, I think she was like late 80s or 90s doing hurdles. And I was like, that is awesome. Like I'm terrified of running hurdles now and (laughs) have been my entire life, but I'm like, maybe I just haven't given it a fair try and I have lots of years to try, but so cool. We all want to be there. A lot of the trends we've talked about are things that I, I probably have pulled from social media. The algorithm sends a lot of those things my way. And we know that there's a lot of good and bad on social media. Do you have tips for kind of sorting through what we see and making sure that we try to only take the good advice? Yeah, that's a good question. Oh man, everyone gives nutrition advice, right? Like nutrition is one of those subjects that like everyone feels confident in like saying their advice on it because everyone eats food. And so they're like, oh, I've been eating food for this many years. I must, you know, know everything about it, right? So when you are sorting through nutrition advice, I hate to say it, but good nutrition advice is kind of boring. Like it's probably stuff that you've heard before, right? Like you need to be eating your fruits and vegetables. You need to be getting enough whole grains. You need to be staying hydrated. Like it's, it's not new information for a lot of people. So if you hear something that sounds totally outlandish, it probably isn't true. If you see someone who's shirtless in a grocery store, please don't take their advice. Like, I don't know what they're doing. Is that legal? (laughs) I don't know, but I keep seeing influencers do it. It's so like, how did you get in here? So yeah, you know, of course, of course, always looking for someone with some sort of certification. So a higher education in nutrition is a good place to start. Um, Registered dietitian is obviously a great place to start. We probably have the most nutrition knowledge out of any medical professional. So that's, that's just general tips, but yeah, no, no shirtless dudes yelling, just skip, like swipe up. I don't know. Just go past it, please. (laughs) Keep scrolling. We mentioned you are a coach with Fuelin, which is a nutrition-based trading app. I'm curious about how you feel technology has impacted food and nutrition. And also if Fuelin uses any type of AI, artificial intelligence. Yeah, it's interesting. We have all of these kind of innovations that are happening. Like we had the the CGM monitors, right? That became super, super popular monitoring glucose levels. Fuelin does use AI. So AI helps to pull people's personal data and their training plans in order to create macro targets for them. And so, you know, in my perspective, it's great because it saves me a lot of time. Like it's stuff that I already do with my clients. Like I'm calculating your carbohydrate needs. I'm calculating your protein needs. I am calculating like your sweat rate or how many carbs you're intaking per hour. And so AI has been super helpful of like saving me the time of doing that. And so I see it being a a benefit in some instances, but I don't think it'll ever, it's not going to replace practitioners, right? Like AI is not a person. AI can't 
tell you, you know, what to eat for breakfast or like it doesn't know that you hate blueberries because you've had a conversation with AI, right? Like there's always that personal level of coaching that comes in that technology will never replace. And with the people that I work with, you know, I still have eyes on every single day of what their their meals look like, what their macros look like. Like I still want to know exactly what you're doing, but I think it can be a nice entry point for people who maybe can't afford to see a dietitian or, you know, are just getting started and don't have a ton of money. So it, it, it gives you a great base plan um, to work off of. If our listeners are curious about working with you as a nutrition coach, where should they start? Yeah. So I have a website. It's, um, it's actually my social media handle. So megafoley.com that has all of my information there. So they can find out more about me and my coaching services and also on Fuelin's website as well. I'll be sure to link to those. What about your own race plans for 2024? (laughs) I'm still sorting them. I'll probably jump into some like Olympic non-draft or similar distance races, but I haven't totally solidified my schedule yet. So look for me in, in spring, early summer, but I'm, I, uh, I'm enjoying the slow buildup right now. Uh, maybe St. Anthony's. I love that. Race. Yeah. Are you going to do that one? I don't think so. It's the same weekend as Ironman Texas, which I'm so oh. bummed about. I wish I could do both. Like last year, they were one week apart. I didn't do Texas last year, but my mom, her school sponsors an aid station at Ironman Texas. And so I'm, there's a piece of me that's like, couldn't your school sponsor like a 5k? Yeah. <laughs> I know it's, it might be a good race for me. So, um, she tells me there'll be a lot of cheers, although St. Anthony's had a lot of cheers too. And so that's like a favorite race. I got to get back there someday. Cause I did it last year and we didn't have a swim. And oh, so yeah. I need to come have that swimming experience yeah. there, but fantastic race. I mean, I love, I love the like Olympic non-drafting series. I, I don't know why I didn't race more of them when I first started the sport, every opportunity I can, I want to jump in one of those. Yeah. Yeah. We just need to talk to the organizers and, you know, make sure that Ironman Texas and St. Anthony's aren't the same weekend so that you can do yes, yes, <laughs> yes, maybe for next year. But Megan, thank you so much for, for joining me today. I really learned a lot from our conversation and um, I look forward to also cheering you on the 2024 season. Yeah. Thanks, Haley. Thanks for having me. It was great chatting. Alyssa, AminoCo has been a longtime podcast sponsor. And every time I'm listening to the show and I hear our AminoCo ad, I'm always shocked to hear how AminoCo co-founder, Dr. Robert Wolf, has run a marathon in under two hours and 30 minutes, 62 times. I just can't believe that's a real stat. Me either. It is very impressive. And it gives me a lot of confidence. Dr. Wolf knows what he's talking about when it comes to performance and recovery. I actually took AminoCo Heal before and after my recent knee surgery. I've been using Heal a lot after really big workouts as I've started to ramp up my training. And I also use my personal favorite, AminoCo Perform, before and during my hardest sessions. Do you have a favorite flavor? For Perform, I definitely go with the strawberry lemonade. It has a really light flavor and a little bit of caffeine that I think helps keep me focused during my really tough intervals. And for Heal, I like vanilla. I just feel like vanilla gets me into recovery mode. What about you? The vanilla Heal is my favorite too. I find it mixes really well into my post-workout shakes that I make. Wait, what do you put in your shakes? Well, 
oftentimes just whatever I have in the fridge, sometimes vegetables, sometimes collagen, you know, whatever I have. Summer shakes are way more interesting because it's like I make them cold. But the winter shakes are a little less fancy. Do you ever add snow to your winter shakes? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to start doing that now. I don't know, make, make sure it's clean snow. I am not quite as fancy. I just add water. It, I think it still works pretty well. But uh, well, however you like your Amino Co, you can rest assured that in clinical trials, muscle protein synthesis from exercise more than doubled by athletes using Perform and Heal was shown to trigger muscle growth and repair better than other high quality protein sources. Head to aminoco.com slash ironwomen to see very large photos of me and Haley using Aminoco products. Then select your favorite products and use code ironwomen for 30% off at checkout. First time purchases also come with a free gift. That's aminoco.com forward slash ironwomen and code ironwomen for 30% off. Alyssa, I loved hearing Megan's thoughts on a lot of the fitness and nutrition trends that are going around these days. And so I want to hear your, your takes on a few of these. First of all, have you ever taken ketones or considered taking ketones? No, Haley, I ha I've had athletes who like, you know, send me in the, should I take this? And so I looked it up and I no, I couldn't figure out a good reason to spend money on that when I feel like there, yeah, there's other things in the priority list well above trying that, but I don't know. Have you, do you talk about no, this? No, I mean, I okay. I feel like the same way where I'm like, if my brain needs glucose, I'm going to find it in a much cheaper way. Yeah. <laughs> like my brain is not that, um, is not that bougie that it gets its own glucose source. Like it has to share with the rest of my body until we yeah. made a little bit more money. <laughs> so you got to earn your keep up there. Uh, what about, uh, cold plunges? I mean, you're in Vermont. Do you do a cold plunge? So I like have really, that was one where I was like, oh, I do live in Vermont. I could totally do cold plunges. And I was like, I'm just going to start with the shower. Right. And like someone told me at the end, I think of every shower, like just turn it 30 seconds cold and then like start your day. Right. I did it once. And then I was just like, nope. <laughs> Never again. I enjoy warm showers actually, as it turns out. And my body likes that a lot more. And I think, um, I think there are good benefits. I will say to like, I think some people react, respond very well, like the mental side of things I think can be very helpful for that for certain people, but I am not one of those people. I'm with you on that one. I get enough like being cold, just being outside and like yeah. dog walking that there's no way I'm going to take a cold shower or get in a cold <sighs> plunge. Like there's just no way I, I do. I'm the same way. I'm like, I enjoy showers too much. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to be miserable in there. Um, it's like, there has to be some life enjoyment, right? Like I have to enjoy some things in life. Um, what about, do you have a Stanley cup? I'm very curious about this one. No, I have, and I have so many different types of cups and I, I love cups. I love water bottles. So I am surprised that I haven't yet gotten a Stanley cup, but I don't. And I, I see things on like Instagram and TikTok, but I don't, I, nope. <laughs> what about what you? What is it? It's for me, it's the straw. I'm like, I don't want to have to clean that. I think that's oh, like, yeah. I'm very big on like, I just, everything needs to be easily cleaned and like thrown in the dishwasher. I think I've talked mm -hmm. about this. This is even one of the reasons I don't often use a hydration vest because I'm just like, I don't want to have to clean out the, the hydration bladder part. I'm like, everything just needs to be dishwasher safe. Um, but that's, that's what keeps me from it. Also, I think they're very, 
suited toward if you drive a lot, like fitting in the cup holder when you're in the car, which I don't do. I actually would love to purchase a cup. Someone can tell me if these exist because they must exist. This doesn't seem like that novel of an idea, but in cold climates where we are, Haley, like if you take not a Stanley, what's the other, what's like a, like a Yeti, a hydroflask or a Yeti cup, right. Or something. Some they're all, I mean, I think they're all made from the same outside. Right. So, and you walk from your door to the car and then you're like, you put it in the car and then you're like, Oh, I forgot my swim bag. So you run back in, you come back out. And then in that time, if it's a really cold morning, the outside of the cup is frozen. Like the outside of the cup is so cold. Or if you like take it on a dog walk or something. Right. And so then I'm like holding this like cold cup and the inside might be scolding hot, but it's not helping me because my hands are now frostbitten. Right. So this is my million dollar idea that someone can steal. And then as long as you just give me one for the rest of my life to use, I want like an insulated outside also <laughs> on my, on my Stanley cup before I purchase it. Because otherwise, I mean, the material of the outside is like so cold when it gets cold and it happens so fast in true cold climates. I mean, should they have like some kind of a koozie? I'm like trying to figure out like a mitten, a mitten yeah. that like attaches like, to your good. cup. <laughs> like, but I want it like well thought out. I mean, you know, like someone, I could put like a sock or like, that's what you do when you go hiking. You like put in a sock, right? But like, this is absurd. People like, can't we create like a little nice koozie, heated koozie? I don't know. Yeah. Someone, someone um, enlighten me. The last one I want to ask about is uh, like prebiotic sodas. So like Olipop, Poppy, you know, this is like taking seltzer to a slightly more a different level where it has a little bit of calories, but not that many calories, a lot of flavor. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on these? I... I like, so I like drink kombucha, right? So I'm not opposed to like the prebiotic, probiotic type of drink. And I like the way kombucha tastes, but I, I think when I have it in my head, it's going to be like a soda or something like an Olipop soda. And it, I don't love the way they taste. So I don't really, really, yeah, I love them. I like, I love them so much. And I feel like I, um, you know, I use them as like treats a lot, like after workouts and that kind of thing. Maybe it's sort of like an alcohol alternative for me in a way. Um, but I do think, you know, Megan did caution. You don't want to drink more than like two per day, um, because of the prebiotics in them, I guess the chicory root and, um, you know, keep your stomach happy. But I was glad she didn't say like they're bad. She did say kombucha was good. So I'm like, you're in the clear there. Kombucha is a little strong for me sometimes. Sometimes I can handle it, but sometimes I'm like, this tastes too healthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to find your flavor and then just stick with it. But going to Megan for giving us so much insight into her, her perspective, on all those trends, especially as a registered dietitian versus us like anecdotally, but we're on the same page with a lot of things. So Alyssa, we're, we're not doing too bad. No, we're doing great. Haley. We're doing great. Well, with that, I will, uh, sign off. I will talk to you next week. I will let you know how things are going as I scramble to get ready for an insanely big race with short notice. <laughs> Good luck, Haley. This Girl, is life. Yeah, this is, uh, this is life. This is <laughs> hashtag be like Haley hashtag. This is life. Yeah. The ultimate pivot, but it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine, but I'll talk to you later, Alyssa. Bye Haley. You've been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Lydia Russell and produced by Ellen Natitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, stories, and fresh perspectives.
Thanks for listening.